Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I just want to say I, I really like the songs that Matthew picked out. I particularly like the song Blessed Assurance. I think the chorus, I'm, I'm not a big fan of choruses. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of silly that way. I just don't like repeating things a bunch. But I love the chorus of that song and will happily sing it as many times as they plan on putting it in there. Because the simplicity of this is my story, this is my song, Praising my Savior all the day long. Like, that's my life. That's what I'm about. You want to know what I'm about? It's praising my Savior all the day long. I love that. And uh, I think there's a great chorus. But I want to talk about something totally not related to that. Uh, Psalm 38 is where we're going to begin this morning. Psalm 38. I'm going to read the first 10 verses of Psalm 38. It says, O Lord... Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day. I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes it also has gone from me. This text is a text that goes with several other texts, uh, several psalms of David. Uh, most famously, we might think of Psalm 51, where David, he talks about a sin that he was a part of, and he just really gets so sad. And you can feel the frustration, you can see like the physical pain that it causes him to know that he has hurt God in this way. And I mean, ever since I was young, I remember reading Psalm 51 and and now this Psalm and thinking to myself, like, I I don't feel that way when I sin. I don't, I, I guess I just don't hate sin enough. I don't feel that visceral pain when I sin, I don't, it doesn't bother me as much as it should. And I, I started to think about well, how is it that I can see sin the right way? How do I see sin the way God sees sin, the way that David sees sin? I think this is what makes David a man after God's own heart. David, we talked about this morning, uh, he has faults. But David, he does this one thing very, very well. And that is when David messes up, he repents He makes a comeback. He cares about the way his sin affects God. It's very serious to him. And I want sin to be very serious to me as well. And so I was asking myself, how is it that I can come to think of sin the way I ought to? And I kind of stumbled upon it by accident. Uh, I was was 19, and Leah and I had just uh, been dating, I don't know, maybe a few months. I'm not really sure. And... I remember I, I, I did something that really, really upset her. And I remember we were in, you know, the Boswell lobby. And I remember, like, watching her leave. And for the next 12 to 24 hours, I mean, I was, I was physically sick 
because I, I was just so upset. And it was this mixture of, of guilt because I knew I had hurt her and she, I, I really cared about her. And the other thing was fear. Like, what did I just do? Like, what, what are the ramifications of my action? Like, it scared me. I was so, I was so upset. And I realized something looking back on that. And that is that the problem isn't necessarily that I'm viewing sin wrong. It's that I'm viewing God the wrong way. And if I love God, then I'm going to see sin the way that David sees sin. If I see sin through love's lens, through the lens of a relationship, then I'm going to begin to understand what makes sin so disgusting. And I'm not going to have, want to have anything to do with it. Because sin, it, it tears relationships. It makes someone that we love hurt. And I don't want to do that to God. And uh, I set out this week, at the beginning of the week, I was going to preach two sermons on David. And the first one ended up being about Ezekiel. And this one is also going to be about Ezekiel. Uh, I don't even know why. I haven't even been reading Ezekiel that much lately. But we're going to be turning to Ezekiel 16. And this, I will warn you, is, uh, it's a graphic text. But I don't know any text that more powerfully brings this idea across of sin as a break in a relationship than Ezekiel 16. And I think you'll see that as we go through this. Uh, it's going to be a heavy lesson today, but I'm hoping it's that I can make it quick. Because I want us to see the way that sin hurts God. And I want that to make us disgusted by the idea of sin. Let's start Ezekiel 16. We're going to read the first seven verses. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out into an open field, for you abhorred on the day of your birth. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair was grown, yet you were naked and bare. The first seven verses here picture Israel as a young child from the day of her birth to the day where she becomes a full woman. And this kind of parallels Israel, I guess, from Abraham, let's say, to Egypt. God saw this nation, this, which began in Abraham and and grew and grew and grew. And God, he made the first move. He reached out to Abraham. He said, Abraham, come out. I will bless you. God saw Abraham. When Abraham had nothing to give God, when Abraham was you know, living in Babylon, probably an idolatrous man, and yet God came to him and said, I want to give you life. And God did the same thing for us. I mean, we... We had nothing to offer God. And God made the first move. God, out of love for us, sent his son 
so that whoever would believe in him would have life and not death, so that he could say to us in our blood, live. God gave us life. God made the first move. God loved us when we had nothing to give him. And as we continue, uh, we'll see the transition from Israel as the child of God to Israel as the bride of God. Verse 8. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off the blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. Leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced in royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord. So God took his people Israel, brought them out of Egypt. He gave them everything. He gave them the the inheritance that they were entering into, the land that they were going to inherit. He gave them the riches of the Egyptians. He gave them security. He gave them water from the rock in the wilderness. He provided for them over and over again. And he promised them, if you walk in my statutes, I will bless you over and over and over again. You will live a blessed life because I will be your God. I will take care of you. And God has done the same thing for us. I mean, we've been studying Ephesians. And it talks about that at the beginning of time, God chose us to be his people, to sanctify us, to redeem us, to give us an inheritance. God wants to bless us. God has so much love to give. And, and God, God loves in the way that you would tell your friend not to love. God loves relentlessly, just so much, almost like, dangerously, because God is giving his love to someone who definitely does not deserve it. I mean, imagine you had, you know, a 15-year-old son, and he said, you know, uh, Mom, Dad, I, I met this girl in class, and she's awful. Uh, she has no interest in me, and I love her, and I want to give her everything. And you would be like, no, don't, don't do that. And yet God, God does. God loves Israel so much. He gave her everything, nothing he withheld from her. And yet, just as we see this as a recipe for heartbreak, in, in, in the story we set, so it will be here. Because God loved us so much. And Israel did not return that love. Verse 15, we're going to read verses 15 through 34. I know that's a long time, but I trust this text will keep your interest. Ezekiel 16, verses 15 through 34. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whoring on any passerby or your beauty because became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself a colorful shrine and on them you played the whore. The like has never been seen nor ever shall be. 
You also took your beautiful jewels of gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and you made for yourself images of men, and with them you played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them, and set my oil and my incense before them, and also my bread that I gave you. I fed you with fine flour, with oil and honey, and you set them before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declared the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you have borne to me, and these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whoring so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? And in all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and wallowing in your blood. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord God, you built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty place in every square. At the head of every street, you built your lofty place and made your beauty an abomination, offering yourself to any passerby, multiplying your whorings. You, made, you played the whore with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, multiplying your whorings to provoke me to anger. Behold, therefore, I stretch out my hand against you and diminish your allotted portion and delivered you to the greed of the enemies, the daughters of the Philistines, who were ashamed of your lewd behavior." You played the whore also with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. Yes, you played the whore with them and still you were not satisfied. You multiplied your whorings also with the trading land of the Chaldea and even with them, you were not satisfied. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things, the deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chambers at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square, yet you were not like a prostitute. Because you scorned payment, adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. Men give gifts to all prostitutes, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from every side with your whorings. So you were different from every other woman in your whorings. No one solicited you to play the whore. You gave payment while no payment was given to you. Therefore, you were different. This is heartbreaking. I mean, we said this, God loved his people so much, he gave them everything. And in return, what did they do? They left him, chased after idols, played the whore with all the nations. This is like, if you found out that your wife had sold her wedding ring to like put a down payment on a brothel that she was going to work at, and then that, that jar that you've been saving up, all your loose change for your second honeymoon, shattered it, and, you know, bought a feast for, like, the worst kind of scumbags you can imagine. And that's what happened when God loved his people, that he gave them all these gifts and they used them against him. And we can look at this story and we can, we can be disgusted and frustrated by the lewdness, by the selfishness of what Israel did to God. But then I look at my life and I think of all the times when God blessed me so much and yet I turned my back on him. When God gave me direction and yet I chose to go my own way. And I think about the sorrow that that must cause God. I think about this as I think about any relationship. I mean, whether it's my wife or whether it's my, my friends or my family, like if I love somebody, I don't want to let them down. I don't want to do this to anybody. And so when we start to think about sin as a, as a break in a relationship, 
then we see it through different lenses. It's no longer a ledger where we're just marking things off or, you know, oh, I just pray to God and get forgiveness. No, like, this has serious ramifications for our relationship. One, it, it makes God sad. I mean, I think about, let's go back to this, the earthly relationship idea. Like, you know, there are a lot of things, like a lot of terrible, selfish things I could do in, in my marriage, you know, from like the top end to be like, ah, you know, steal all of our money and, you know, crash the car and just destroy everything. Or like on the lower end, you know, like I just be a terrible person. And just like, ah, I'm going to throw my clothes everywhere and not clean up at like, but, but on all ends, if I do something selfish, I'm going to hurt my wife who I love very much. And if she is sad, I'm sad because I care about her. And the same is true for God. Like, I can do a lot of things to hurt God. But I started to think about all that God did for me. I started to think about the fact that I was dead in my trespasses, that I was a nothing, and that God loved me and loved me and loved me forever, when then I could give him nothing in return. Why? Why would I want to hurt God? Why would I want to go my own way and bring the pain on this God who has loved me so much and who I love so much? And I think this also, when we view sin through this relational lens, I think it helps with this idea of forgiveness coming lightly. The old, you know, oh, continue in sin that grace may abound, or just a little talk with Jesus. This, this idea that if I, if I sin, I can just pray, and it's fine, and the ledger's wiped clean. And yes, God will forgive you for whatever you do. That's a, that's a promise that we have from God. If we repent, God will forgive us. But that's, that's also true in most relationships. I mean... I, my wife and I, we play this game. You know, it's like, oh, if I was a murderer, would you still love me? And of course, you know, you guys say yes. But this is true. Like, I truly believe that no matter what I do, that Leah is still going to love me. But that doesn't mean that the damage goes away. Like, when we hurt God, he will always forgive us. But that doesn't mean that the relationship is where it was to start with. That doesn't mean that we weren't selfish to God, that we didn't hurt him. And so I ask myself, how is it that I can see sin for what it really is, for this awful thing to do to God? And I think that when I am tempted to sin, when I'm tempted to go my own way, to do something selfish, what I need to be reminded of is what these people need to be reminded of in Ezekiel 16, verse 22. In all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare and wallowing in your blood. You forgot all that God did for you. You forgot how much he loved you. And you forgot how much love we owe to God and how much he means to us. And so when we're tempted to sin, I want you to think about God. I want you to think about all the things he's done. I want you to think about how much you love him. And if that's not enough motivation, then we need to love God more. We need to dive deeper. And that's a, a different sermon for a different time. How do we increase our love for God? But I think that's the key. I think we've got to see sin as a break in the relationship. We've got to see sin for what it is, is damage to someone who we love very much. And I don't want to hurt God because God loved me so much. God deserves so much better than me, even on my best days. I want to give God my best. I don't want to hurt him. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to consider that as you go forth and you think about sin, you think about 
you know, what it means to be forgiven. Consider sin for what it is. Consider it through a relational lens. We're about to sing a song here. And if, if we can do anything for you, we would, we'd love to help. Jesus loves us so deeply. I mean, we read, we read this story. You, you see. God loves better than anyone ever could ever. And if you don't know that love, I would love to talk to you more about it. I would love to show you all these texts of, of the way, the depth of God's love. And if, you, if you're already a Christian, you've already committed your life to God, but you have not seen sin for what it is. You have not viewed God with the love that he deserves. We want to help you with that as well. If you have any need, please come as we stand and sing.